This is Indigenous Languages, Indigenous Voices on CKUT 90.3 FM. I'm Charlie O'Connor, and I'm joined on the line now with Ganasohon Kevin Deer. Ganasohon is a Ganyankehaga elder from Ganawage and is currently working as vice president of the First Nations Technical Institute in Tayendanega, Mohawk Territory. Say go, Kevin. Skanagoga. We um, are happy to have you on the show, and um, we're going to talk about um, language issues, your history as a language teacher in Ganawage, but first, it's it's quite impossible to ignore the um, the wave of solidarity um, with the Wet'suwet'en uh, land defenders, and so I hope you could talk, uh, start by talking just a little bit about uh, your involvement in uh, in what's been happening in Tendanaga and uh, in Ganawage. Well, it only began this uh, this Saturday for me, really, as far as uh, being part of the talks. Uh, basically, I went there just to be eyes and ears for one of our condoled chiefs who could not make it himself personally. But because I worked there, asked if I could be uh, involved in the process. Mm-hmm. So uh, I said, yeah, I said that I would. And... Uh, so for me, first and foremost, I'm all about our language, I'm all about ceremony, I'm all about love for peace, love for the natural world, trying to do whatever I could do as a human being, that when I leave this earth and go into the ancestor realm, that I would have left some tracks, mm-hmm. being, being mindful of the ones that are coming, so that when they would be born and come into this world, that they would inherit a happy, safe, clean, beautiful, peaceful home. So that's what I'm all about. Mm-hmm. I wonder, um, could you talk a little bit about um, about the relationship between uh, Ganyankehaga people out east and, and the Wet'suwet'en nation um, out in northern BC? Well, the relationship to date has just been one of... Uh, standing in solidarity with them mm-hmm. because they know that uh, we up in the east here just because of the way um, our lands were expropriated without us having consent you know the the railroads came through and Gunawage they took us away from the river they passed the seaway they took them past the Mercier Bridge they took uh, land for uh, transmission lines of electricity, the uh, CP Railroad runs through there. So all of these things that was railroaded, for lack of a better word, down our throats at the outset, now is working to our advantage because all of these years, whenever we wanted some restitution and some justice about what has happened to historically, uh, we were never ever really taken seriously. Mm-hmm. I always say that it was just kind of like uh, tokenism, tokenism, that Native people were being part of the process. But now, because all of us are waking up to global warming and climate change, and because of uh, the monetary system and capitalism, people are waking up 
and they're beginning to see that all of this so-called way of living is not benefited is not beneficial to the planet it's not beneficial to our health and we are being reawakened and reawakened that we better start new ways of relationship mm-hmm. self as an individual be it to each other as human beings be it to the relationship that we have to the mother earth and for what is our relationship to our ancestors and the uh, the spirit essence the life force the interconnectedness of all things that we are an indirect but intricate part of mm-hmm I know um, I don't know if you are following CBC and mainstream reporting um, in in my experience there are some um, some critical and occasionally indigenous voices getting on the air um, but there's also the the business associations um, people are hearing again and again about the the economic impact of the rail blockades I wonder if there's more that you can share about the the spirit and the philosophy that's that's behind these actions and why the economic disruption is necessary well I mean I never thought myself as an individual that it would get this far mm-hmm. you know the simple solution was when the uh, Witsuan asked that they remove their police force that they halt the construction of the line until the leadership along with the politicians the prime minister the premier of bc would sit together and hammer this out that that would have happened and that we wouldn't have all of this where now it's starting to get to um you know where some boiling points of frustrations aggravation monies that's being lost that it, that it would have to get this far you know, I never thought that I would begin to see this. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's unfortunate. Like, I don't like to see, uh, you know, that there's going to have to start to be layoffs, that food is starting to rot, that uh, essential services are being disrupted. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that's, that's not really promoting peace. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm only one little individual that's trying to appeal to everybody, you know, trying to say in, uh, in, these, uh, in, the, in these times, what can we do to try to uh, make some headway, uh, disengage, and try to get back to some sense of normalcy, mm-hmm. but at the same token, understanding that there's going to be a new renewed relationship between the hereditary chiefs and the federal and provincial governments. Mm-hmm. Speaking of um, the hereditary chiefs, I read um, one report saying they're on their way east. They'll be in Ganawage. I wonder if you can talk about that or whatever. what else do you see from your, your individual perspective? What's coming next? Well, the only thing that I could say is I know that they're on their way here to the east to meet mm-hmm. with the Mohawks. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure which community is going to be first, but uh, definitely they're on their way. Mm-hmm. 
it definitely feels like we are in um, unprecedented times where whether it's five or 50 years ago, um, it seems the troops would have been sent in, you know, weeks ago. And, uh, and, and peace has held so far, and uh, we'll hope it does continue. Is there... Um, well... To, before we shift to, the, to talk about, more about language issues, I wonder, is there anything um, you want to add about the, uh, the solidarity demonstrations with, with the Wet'suwet'en Nation? Maybe is there a message, message you thing, want to send to them? The only thing that I will say to every Canadian is this, that this is, a, is, is centuries old in the making. And it all had to do with this idea that is uh, perpetuated by the doctrine of discovery the papal bulls, I would appeal to every Canadian that I know, you know, that there's frustration starting to build, that patience is getting uh, tested, that, uh, you know, some people are probably uh, facing layoffs. There's, uh, there are so many implications to all of this. Mm-hmm. And what I was saying, this just didn't happen overnight. It's, it's centuries in the making because we were not treated fairly. Mm-hmm. And now as a result of Native people, and not only Native people, there are people today that are waking up to capitalism, to the monetary system, so that we're all slaves to this wage economy and that we can't go on as business as usual mm-hmm. because it doesn't take a scientist a rocket scientist to see where we're headed and what's coming mm-hmm. so for me in indirectly this is a wake, wake up call to say if you think you're being un- inconvenienced right now well, imagine what's going to happen when the earth is going to start, for lack of a better word, pulling back mm-hmm. because all of the sources of life that we rely on are going to be depleted and it ain't going to stop until there is nothing left. Yeah. So what I'm appealing to is that everyone understand the sacredness and the interconnectedness of all life. That we have no right to hurt each other, all human beings. We have no right to kill each other, all human beings. We have no right to rape any woman from anywhere because they are sacred. As men, we all come out of their vessel, which is their body. That the earth is our mother. And we can't always just be looking at it as something that can be exploited and plundered just to make money at the end of the day. So I appeal to everyone to come from this place of great peace, to come from this place of love, to come from this place of forgiveness. And even though we may be experiencing some hardship, let's try to overcome it 
and let's put our best thinking together as we move forward because together we can make it better Mm -hmm. but there can't be any hidden agendas Mm -hmm. we have to now come from the place of the true heart of true brotherhood of true sisterhood and get rid of any type of hate and animosity and war and killing and all of that stuff because that's over now. If we want to keep continuing to resort to that as a means to an end, then as human beings, we will be around very much longer. Mm -hmm. And we will have no one to blame but ourselves because the Great Spirit provided everything for us to survive and to be happy. And the only thing that the Great Spirit asked our ancestors in return was to be grateful every day, to sing our sacred songs, do our dances, which is the highest form of gratitude. And we're still trying to do that to the best of our ability today. Mm -hmm. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that message, and I'm really happy to help pass it on. Uh, It's about more than a single pipeline. It's about more than um, a couple weeks of rail blockades. We're going to um, back up a little bit and um, start right from the beginning. I hope you could tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, and where you're from, and what you do. Well, my name is Gadda Sohan. I'm a Mohawk from Benawagan. I wasn't born there because when I left the ancestral realm to come into this world, I couldn't stay in the oven two months longer. I was born in the state of Connecticut, which is known as the Constitution State. And I feel that it's befitting because once I learned about the great law of peace, which is my Constitution, ever since then I've been talking about the Constitution of the great laws of peace of this land we know as Turtle Island. Mm-hmm. I, didn't raise, I was not raised with all of these teachings. As a little kid, I knew nothing of my language, my ceremonies, my history, my culture, my heritage. It was all just a whitewashing from Judeo-Christian beliefs, Adam and Eve, you know, bearing straight theory, mm-hmm. the Big Bang. And then finally in my uh, early 20s, 2021, I rejected any form of spirituality because I asked some of the older men, I said, what happens to when you die? He said, you're dead. I said, what about this notion of heaven or God? He said, there's no such thing as that. So I got sucked into the whole idea that we're here for a good time, not a long time. So just go along with the status quo. Mm -hmm. But then when I turned 22, there were two things that happened in my life. Well, actually, I was 21. June 22nd, 1978, I was 21, the death of my grandfather. February 1979, the conception of my daughter. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And then that May of 1979, a teacher coming to Kahnawake, and that was Tom Porter. So death, birth, and a teacher transformed my life. Mm-hmm. I picked up our language. I went back to the longhouse. I learned our ceremonies, our history. And I've been spiritually empowered since then and never looked back. This uh, this program is very focused on Indigenous language issues, and I hope you could elaborate a little bit on why Ganyangeha, the Mohawk language, um, is so important to you and, and the role it's played in, in that uh, rediscovery of your ancestral traditions. Well, because when you fully understand the language, it, it paints in your mind different ways of thinking and understanding. So I'll just give you one example. So in our language, we call ourselves Ungwe Hungwe. So you'll, you'll read somewhere and it says, well, original man or original being. But let's break that word apart for a minute. Ungwe is the being. It could be man or female. Mm-hmm. Ungwe comes from the root word Tinawe, which means forever. So I am a, a, a being that has a spiritual significance to me that is forever. Mm-hmm. I know that um, in your time here on Earth, uh, you've spent many years um, educating children. Um, and I would like to know, what does it mean uh, for them to be immersed in their indigenous language and culture at a young age? What do you see? What, do you, what effects of that do you see as they grow up? Well, as I said, so language helps you to think in different ways. And because language, Moab language is so descriptive, and it's, you know, words are, um, I don't know what the word a linguist would say, but they're um, like one word has many aspects of it. Mm-hmm. So what it does is it helps to shape their thinking, and it's all connected to how we understand who we are first and foremost as human be- beings, and then how we're connected to our families, which is our sacred fire, and then how that ties us to the earth. And then that completes the circle and the cycle because then we go back to which means the other side of the sky. The next thing I'd like to ask about is um, your current work with the, the First Nations Technical Institute, FNTI in Tayandanega. Um, but I know you've also worked with McGill and other post-secondary institutions. Um, I'm curious about how you see the role of higher education, of post-secondary education, in Indigenous language revitalization. Well, let's go back a minute to um, the rising of the flag of Montreal at Montreal's 375th birthday. Mm -hmm. With the unfurling of the flag of Montreal in the center part of of the flag, is the tree of peace. So what happens is higher institutions of learning, some of them now are flying 
the, uh, the Confederacy flag. McGill does it periodically. And what that is is that now the institutions are beginning to embrace indigenous wisdom and knowledge of Turtle Island. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because that, in my opinion, is the only way that we're going to build peace, that we're going to build understanding, that we're going to build trust. Because in these teachings, we're going to remove fear. When you remove fear, you remove the mistrust, you remove the hatred, and you build friendship and alliances. And nobody has to fear us. Native people were so spiritually inclined. We understand that we are part of the great spirit. So we we show hospitality. We're good people. We've never, ever gone to war. All our men historically tried to do was to be, was to protect and defend because negotiations and talks were never done with mutual respect. Mm-hmm. It was done either with coercion, it was done with alcohol, it was done with religion. It was done with money. So it was like taking candy away from a baby. Mm. But with the language and with these higher education, we're learning the truth now. And we're going to build these new bridges. And we're going to come from this place of understanding where together we could make it better. Because we're all in this now. And that's what I see the role of education. Mm-hmm. And as I said, and in the language, that's going to help because it'll empower the next generation of youth to to be more rounded so much so that they're not going to only walk the talk, that, but they're going to be living the talk. Mm-hmm. And in my role now, as right now I'm still acting vice president of academics, mm-hmm. We're looking at developing new courses. We're looking at seed sovereignty, food sovereignty, water sovereignty, and even our own sovereignty because when we talk about sovereignty, that says, all right, how do you feed yourself? How do you clothe yourself? How do you house yourself? Mm-hmm. And all of these things for survival in order to deal with the elements are courses that we will be developing, that I will be developing in conjunction with a lot of our forward thinkers, our visionaries, in ways that mainstream colleges and universities cannot do because we're going to be operating from different sets of values and principles that are indigenous to this land and that right now mainstream education cannot do it just because of the constraints that they are under. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do is move FNTI, because it's the birth of the peacemaker, and because this is where where peace started on Turtle Island, uh, to be this this place of education for higher learning that is based on peace, that is based on love, that is based on environmental stewardship, that is based on equality, that will address poverty and famine 
So right now, I'm poised to be in a position where all of these things that are coalescing for some reason, I don't know, I just seem to be this guy that seems to be at the right place at the right time that can begin to coordinate all of this stuff and make things happen in a great way, in a good way, for everybody. Mm-hmm. Not only here on Turtle Island, but these ideas and these principles could apply to the whole world. And to me, that's, 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 that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. So, so FN, FNTI, the First Nations Technical Institute, is quite unique. Um, it's indigenous-owned, indigenous-governed. Um, and uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that uh, affects the partnerships. There are partnerships between FNTI and other institutions, and then there's, there's also the programs uh, hosted by FNTI. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Um, you started, but the Indigenous-owned and governed aspect of, of FNTI. Well, right now we have partnerships with different uh, colleges and universities because um, we're working on our own accreditation and that will happen in the in 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 very near future. Mm-hmm. So right now we have to have partnerships with some of mainstream education just to ensure that when we say that our, our graduates will have certain skills, knowledge that without a doubt that they are going into the workplace with those skills. Mm-hmm. So we have to have these partnerships, and uh, and that's good because we're, as I said, we're going to learn from each other as we move ahead. We're coming up. Uh, we're coming up to the end, but I'd I'd like to ask if there's if there's anything you want to add in conclusion. The only thing that I would say is that everyone should truly comprehend. The uh, indigenous wisdom of Turtle Island, because all of the settlers and the newcomers are in our house. You are guests in our house, and if you can understand that concept, and our door is uh, where the sunrise in the east, that's the eastern door. The western door is where the sun sets in the west, uh, the west coast. So all of us are in this sacred house. And while we're in this sacred house, let's treat each other as sacred beings that have this God essence within the essential part of our of our of our human human being. And let's come from this place of being loving. Mm-hmm. That's coming from this place of being peaceful. That's come from this place of being nice with each other. That's coming from this place of valuing each other. And when we come from that place of that, let's put our best collective thinking and thoughts forward to understand that we've inherited all of these problems and these things. It's not our fault. Let's now start to move ahead, learning from it, and together, let's make it better. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Niawagoa, for speaking with me today. All right.
Until next You're time. You're welcome. Okay, bye.